Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Let's talk about connection. So Lorraine Kilcheski works in the healthcare industry. She's a mom of three. She's a husband of one. (laughs) And most importantly, she's my friend. And we have been friends since first grade. Okay, well, maybe that's not most important to Lorraine. (laughs) It it is, though. It's very important. (laughs) So Lorraine, you've been such a great friend over the years. I'm so thankful for your friendship. And even when I do crazy things like, you know, start a podcast or start a website, you're always there. Like, all right, you go, Amanda. (laughs) So I have a question for you, Lorraine, because by the way, Lorraine and I have been friends since, um, since we were in first grade, we met in first grade at St. Jude's elementary school. Um, when you saw, when I started to do the Soulful Living website and the podcast, what were your first thoughts? Were you like, and you can say it because, you know, <laughs> I understand. Were you thinking, what is she doing? Is she crazy? Like what? I actually thought that it was the perfect thing for you to do um, because you are so great with people and with getting people to talk and open up and like, you know, forging connections, even before this, you know, like that was just something you were always very good at and with your job, like with the people, different, all different walks of people, different walks of life. Like, I just feel like you were such a people person that it just really, to me, when you said it, I was like, oh, wow. And I'm like, well, that's actually perfect for Amanda. See, and this is, it's, it's just like we, like we practiced it, Lorraine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, and that's one of the things that has been, I'm so grateful because you are so supportive through thick and thin, through good and bad. And, you know, I asked if you would talk about some of the really dramatic and traumatic things that you have faced in your life. But I thought, um, I thought, you know, we could just go back and talk about, like, what was life like for you when we first got to know each other? Like, what was your childhood like when we were both going to St. Jude's? St. Jude's, yes. No, I feel looking back, I feel like it was like pretty much the ideal. I mean, not that it was perfect, because obviously at the time we, you know, there was things that we thought were big deals, but really like, you know, we went to a small Catholic school, so we knew everybody not just in our class. I mean, we knew almost everybody in the school because everybody had siblings in different classes. Um, We knew not only um, our friends in our class, we knew their siblings, we knew their families because, you know, it was very involved when you're a small school like that. 
you know, so when I look back, I think that, you know, like, I feel like that we were very lucky to have that kind of childhood, you know, where we just went out and played, you know, yeah. when we played guitar when we were a little older and thought we were like going to be stars, um, you know, in the church <laughs> guitar group and all. So. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing to say that's not around the corner, Lorraine. There's still time. <laughs> there's still time. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. It, you know, it does kind of seem a little bit idyllic when you think back ab about our childhood, you know, it was, it was very um, small town feeling and we got home and we went out and played and um, there is something really wonderful about feeling connected to so many people, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, and we both worked at the same job even when we were teenagers yes we did we worked as waitresses in a um community for the elderly and Lorraine was good at it and well loved <laughs> and I was bad at it <laughs> that's so funny because I was gonna say I loved that job I loved like the people and I was I was actually going to say that, not that you weren't good at it. No, no, uh, just be honest. It's okay. You weren't <laughs> the best at it. I was not yeah. good at it, folks. I wasn't a good waitress. I was not good. I was so bad. Lorraine was so loving and she was kind and she could somehow manage to juggle what she was doing with the tables, with being personable to both the people in the back preparing the food and the people receiving the food. I was not, <laughs> I was not good at it. I would serve people their entrees and then they would say things like, well, we haven't had our appetizers. And then I would respond, well, do you have to have that in, in order? Like, can't you just eat your entrees? I'll bring your appetizers, but start eating now. <laughs> it's going to get cold. So eat your, eat your food, it's cold. calm down. Yeah, it was I wasn't good. I left. I didn't work there for very long, but Lorraine was really, really kind and good. And you know what, Lorraine, you're still in the healthcare industry. And I do think there is something really that you have that is very nurturing and very caring. And I think it was, even though we were serving them food, you still added this element of caring, you know, that I just didn't, I, yeah. I went to work at what was then Bamberger's and I was fine. I needed to just sell them things apparently. <laughs> Yeah, um, I did actually like working with the, the, you know, the elderly people who live there in the community. Like it just, you know, I'm very close with my, uh, at the time with my grandparents. So I think that kind of like really um, also helped, you know, mm -hmm. like my grandmother lived with us for a while. Like we took care of her. Um, so it just kind of seemed like, you know, a natural wow. yeah so then when we were i'm like trying to remember maybe were we 21 when you had your accident 23 23 okay yeah so, i turned 24 in the hospital <laughs> in the hospital okay so lorraine and i were just living our lives having a good time going out dancing and going to the mall and getting cute outfits so that we could then go out again <laughs> <laughs> and that was the way our life was going. And I was already dating Victor. 
at the time because I've dated him, you know, what feels like a million years. A long time ago. Um, and Lorraine got into a horrible accident. It was really bad. So I'm going to tell my version of it. Okay. <laughs> and then you tell your version of it. <laughs> Let's make it all about me, even though Rain was the one experiencing. Well, I remember the actual accident. You can tell it probably as good as me anyway. Well, I get a call that Lorraine has been in a horrible accident with a 14-wheeler gravel-carrying vehicle. I still remember, I think, that that was what I was told. And she was airlifted to Hahnemann, and it took an ungodly amount of time to get her out of the wreckage. And she was in severe trouble. Like, it was bad. And so I said, okay, well, you know what? Oh, my gosh, this was shocking. I'm going to go see Lorraine. I wasn't really great at going into the city by myself. That was on par with my waitressing skills, apparently. And I go and I do a terrible job parking. I guess I remember this. And I went in and your mother said to me, Lorraine, listen, you we're not even letting people see her. It's really only family, but I'm going to let you see her. But are you sure you're going to be fine with this? Because we don't want to upset my daughter. You know, she was traumatized as well. And I said, of course I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I go in to see Lorraine and she is really in pain, first of all. And I know you don't remember that part, Lorraine, but I remember knowing that I had never seen anyone in my life experiencing this level of pain so that was the first thought I had and the second was I mean she was cut like there were just cuts from the seat belts and everything and she looked like she, this was a this was not a good situation <laughs> and Lorraine's sister <laughs> Donna was there and she was very pregnant and I remember she sat down in the one chair and I started to feel dizzy and I remember the thought wow, she's really pregnant, but I wonder if I could ask her to move because I think I need to sit down. <laughs> and the next thing you know, the world went black and, the and I was dry heaving from a wheelchair into like a bucket. And her mother, poor Lorraine's mother was looking up at me and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to make this woman feel good about what her daughter is going through. So I looked at your mom, Lorraine, and I said, she looks so good. <laughs> Lorraine <laughs> looks so good. And at, in between dry heaving, I would look at her and say, she looks great. And then, so that's kind of the beginning of me finding out. So, and then of course there was much more, but, what do you remember about that? Like, what was that? You know, you were doing what? And then what happened? I mean, I remember the morning clear as a bell. I'd actually gone to um, Bucks County Community College to talk to an advisor about because I wanted to go to nursing school. Um, I didn't go to college right out of high school. Then I decided, you know, I'd worked. I decided I wanted to go to nursing school. So I remember meeting with the advisor because it was weird. I used to work with his daughter. Um 
so I recognized his name. So, you know, we talked a little bit about that. And then I remember leaving and I was going to my job um, for like a half day. So I took the morning off to, to meet with the advisor and I applied to the nursing school at this point, but I, had, I got an acceptance letter while I was in the hospital. Um, I, of course, did not make it um, into the nursing school that year. But um, and then as I left there, I remember leaving and then I was going to work. And then that's all I remember. And I don't remember like the next two weeks. I remember um, like two weeks later getting in an ambulance to be transferred. Hanman was a level one trauma center that I was medevac to. Um, and then I was being, after two weeks, I was being transferred to um, Abington Hospital. That was a level two trauma. That was kind of the um, agreement that the doctors and the insurance companies and my family could come up with much closer to home than Hahnemann. Um, mm -hmm. Still not the local hospital Dawson, but it was level two trauma. So they were like, they felt a little bit better that I was still going to be in a trauma center. But I remember nothing. Um, I've heard a lot of the stories. I have to tell you when we get together, because my aunt and uncle, who my uncle was my mom's brother, they were there. Um, right away also and um the story about you passing out was told at many family gatherings in the years <laughs> <laughs> and about you saying she looks really good <laughs> i'm trying to make it okay <laughs> so you definitely like the funny thing is like this was horrible and horrendous as it was and I don't remember that part like but like you do my family does but the the whole thing is just was just something <laughs> sorry that they were not that they were laughing at your expense but it was just something looking back that they could like still find humor in that it was right. just you know yeah. years obviously when I was you know survived everything and all but yes yeah, so exactly. they yeah. And, you yeah. know, because my dad also, he was diabetic type one. So, you know, he had to be seen at one point because he was there at the hospital, not eating right. And his blood sugar, um, you know, went crazy. So he was seen. Oh. Uh, my mom, I think at one point had chest pains, understandably so. So they were checking her out, too. So we always say, like, all the business Hanuman got just when I was brought in. Right. Um, was just funny because you know but it just also goes to show it was pretty bad it was bad Actually, it was really bad yeah and then you were so yeah because then you know I would still come to see you when you were in Abington and how long were you in the hospital do you re do you know yeah I was in I was at um Hahnemann for two weeks and then Abington for five weeks and then I was the first week at Abington, I was like on a med surge unit and then I went to the rehab unit. So I was doing like physical therapy, occupational therapy, all kinds of stuff, basically learning how to maneuver around when I couldn't walk at all. I was in a wheelchair at that point, um, not even on crutches or anything. I could not, you know, um, yeah. a walker was what I graduated to um, in Abington um, at that point, got out of the wheelchair to the walker, but only for a few steps at a time oh, I right. couldn't do um and then um I went to after I was discharged from Abington after those five weeks I went to Doylestown which kind of as a day patient I would get dropped off in the morning like I don't remember eight or nine o'clock my mom would pick me up at four o'clock you know it was like school I'd pack my lunch I'd go to speech therapy cognitive therapy brain injury group 
physical therapy twice a day, occupational therapy, um, psychology once a week, which I used to be mad. Like, why do I have to see a psychologist? Um, but actually it makes sense because I had a brain injury also. So it's, yeah. and you're dealing with a lot. You're kind of, your my life changed in that one instant yes. um, pretty much forever because I still have, you know, pain and, you know, I've had many surgeries, you know, even since the accident and certain oh. things from the led to other issues. Um, so the, I think it was the day patient at the doorstep for like, five or six months. It was a long time. And that was like learning how to walk on my own. Um, yeah. Lorraine, there are so many levels to, to the trauma of it. You, you know, for I, you were brain injured. You had a brain injury, which I would take you to the mall in your wheelchair. I mean, I, God love your mother for even letting me do this because I was not, Again, I don't know. I wasn't the greatest at pushing you in the wheelchair, as you remember. <laughs> um, I, rem I remember that, that day on the ramp in the mall going down. <laughs> there was a ramp in our local mall and I decided, you know, I pushed Lorraine, but all of a sudden um, this wheelchair like just got away from me and I was running the after the wheelchair, holding onto it and Lorraine is trying to grab the railing and I'm like don't grab it because mm -hmm. I figured you know and her mother used to give me speeches about you know you've got to know that nothing is together oh it was you know but Lorraine was laughing I mean that was the, the the crazy thing that there was still so much joy and I'm always struck by when horrible things happen how joy is possible and sometimes it is and and I just think it's kind of stunning to me how you have always been able to find joy. I, I think it's something I talk about behind your back as well as to your face. <laughs> the fact that you've had so much that would have leveled so many people that they just wouldn't continue. And you not only continue, but you find joy. Because I'm convinced now the order I get that even though you don't remember what you experienced, there's a cellular memory. There's some type, you lived it. Yeah. And I just think that there, there's something about that that must stay within you on some level. Do you know what I mean? I, I agree. Like when I went to leave, the only my first memory was when I was leaving Hahnemann Hospital to go to Abington Hospital. I didn't want to get, they took me by ambulance. Um, and I didn't want to get in the ambulance because even though I didn't remember the car accident, I knew that all this was from a car accident. I'm sure there is some, you know, I once asked to go under hypnosis to remember the car accident. And people are like, why? That's stupid. Why would you even want to remember? But I was like so obsessed at the time. Was it my fault? Was it his fault? Oh. I wanted to be able to blame him, the truck driver. Um, it kind of went down as they, it was who's, they didn't know whose fault it was. We came around a curve. It was, he's a big truck. I'm a little car. There was no brake marks. Neither one of us saw each other until we hit. I was a little country road kind of thing at the time. So, um, but they wouldn't, they, you know, I, 
they talked me out of the hypnosis thing because they said maybe it's really not there and if it is there you don't want to know yeah um, you don't want do all those have, memories like it's probably subconscious do you have anger toward the truck driver do you have anger about the accident what are your feelings about that your emotional feelings I, I did off and on at the beginning because basically, like, like I said, we were having so much fun living our life, you mm -hmm. know, like going out, you know, dancing and having fun and like shopping for clothes and doing all kinds of fun. Like we were having a great time. I was like, you know, living my best life, you know, as a young 20 something, like you know, 23 years old, like that's, um, so I was angry at times but not even as often as, as one would think. Like, I think, you know, because of all the therapists and everything and, and my, I have to say like my family was wonderful. My friends were wonderful. Like this isn't going to stop you from living your life. Like it'll change how you do it. But, you know, I still like, we still went out and had fun, different kind of fun. Um, almost killing me on the ramp at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there were so many things like, you know, parking and trying to get you in your wheelchair up like. Yes, I heard my mom telling you before we left the one, I think it was actually the ball day, treat her leg like it's gold. Like, like it's fragile. <laughs> you know, there was a plate and there was 16 screws, like the femur was shattered in two places. So um, and I almost lost my leg in the accident, like almost lost my life. And once they said I would live, survive the accident, which I think my mom said like seven to 10 days after the accident that they said I would survive. They still weren't sure I would, that they were saving the leg. It was just, they operated, they did their stuff. But I still felt like I was like living, and I had fun at therapy. Like even at Dawson Hospital, like the day, well, you know, when I really had fun was when I met another patient who had also <laughs> been in a horrible, um, yep. he fell right flat. Um, he'd medevaced to a different hospital. Now, his was like in August, mine was June, his was August. Um, he was medevaced to a different hospital. Um, terrible injuries also, same type of injuries. And then he came to Dawson as a day patient. Like I'd already been there for, um, I guess probably like a month or so. Um, and then he was the only other young person at that time. And then another so young keep guy. Keep in mind, so we would go to the mall, at, you know, and I mean, we're 23 or whatever. And we're trying to still live our fun life. And we would go and all of a sudden Lorraine started going, she started caring about clothes, which she hadn't really cared about after the accident. She didn't even remember buying certain things. I remember that. Like you didn't, your short-term memory, you could remember second grade, but you couldn't remember things that had right. happened. Yep. Up so all of a sudden Lorraine would start caring about what she was wearing. And I remember her getting like these earrings and they, they matched the shirt. And I said, what is happening at rehab? <laughs> <laughs> I knew. And lo and behold, yes, Mike, her now husband had fallen while rock climbing. He was in a coma. He had been in a coma, right? Coma, yes. Um, he'd been in a coma and he had um, a brain injury, but his head was not to be discussing. His head was like cut open. Ooh. So he, I had like a closed head injury. Um, just my brain bouncing around in there when he hit the truck. And he had actually like cut his head open. Um, 
and he uh, one of his lungs collapsed, whereas both of mine did, and he shattered his ankle. Um, had metal put in there like I had done with my femur. Um, but he was, he was in a coma at first at, at, and he was medevac to Lehigh. I forget how, I think he was there for um, like several weeks. And then he was um, transferred to Doylestown to be closer to home um, for his, you know, rehab. And to, we, when we met, we were both in wheelchairs. Um, so I didn't know he's like a, he's very tall. I didn't realize that at the time because in a wheelchair, we all, you know, same size. I mean, how is that for like a meat cute story? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yep. And then, um, but so Lorraine, all of that, all of that work, all of that rehab, all of that um, unfairness of it, somebody who's just living their life and on to the next thing. How did you at the time kind of come to terms with that what do I you think, think that is I think a lot of it actually was my mother she was like my biggest cheerleader um and I, I think back now the times of like things that happened that were probably like so hard for her and that I didn't even realize um but she was like she would just tell me you know you're going to be able to do this again you're going to be able to do that again um you know, I wanted to go to nursing school still, and I applied at Hahnemann, and they were like, you know, not accepting me right away, or they were like, making me jump through hoops, and she was like, no, you don't know what this kid's been through. If she wants to go, she's going to go, and um, and she would just tell me, like, when I'd be like, I don't want to do this, I'm tired of this, she's like, you're going to do it, like, it just, and at the time, you know, if my mother told me to do it, I was going to do it. Your mother you know? was a force of nature. That's, that's for sure. She was, like she, you know, her personality was, you know, that was the Irish in her that she was like, no, you're going to go to therapy. You're going to walk again. You're going to do this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, gosh, when I think back now to things I did, like I put her through like I wasn't allowed to come down the stairs by myself and this is once I was home and I was using crutches but I wasn't allowed to go down the stairs myself but I did a lot you know <laughs> just because I right. was Alec who you know knew better and one time I was at the top of the stairs and I had to switch like I had a crutch under each arm I'd switch it to the one side and use the railing on one side and the two crutches were on the other side and I dropped one of the crutches and it went flying down the stairs well, my poor mother was in the kitchen and I gave her a heart. Like, she I don't know why, you, right? I don't know why she did not kill me, but she right. came running over and I just stood at the top of the stairs and she looked angrier <laughs> than she ever had in her life because I literally scared her to death, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, this poor woman, like, you know, even once I was home, I was still like, you know, making her stressed and worried. Yeah. But if she told me to do and that things were going to, I was going to recover, then I was going to recover. And, you know, Lorraine, I think that that personality of yours also was, you know, the fact that you're like, yeah, I'm going to go down the stairs or yeah. I'm going to stand up or I'm going to, you know, that I'm going to go out with you when we go. I think that that inner, whatever that is, was also part of your healing you know you just you really did expect that you were going to be okay 
And then we're, we're shortening this up, but lo and behold, Lorraine marries Mike, the cute guy in the, um, <laughs> in, in the other wheelchair. And, and as you said, you've throughout your life still had, um, you know, bodily challenges, um, you know, because of everything that happened to you during that, during that car accident. Um, did you ever doubt like that you'd be able to like looking at you now with three children and knowing all of the trauma that went on with the bones on the lower half, did you ever think, Oh, I might not have children or did you just say, I want them. And that's that. Pretty much. I want them. And that's that the doctors were a little concerned because I had fractured my pelvis. So they were a little concerned about a pregnancy plus the femur, like it had metal in it. And actually I'd had the metal plate removed and then, um, the bone was still, I kept getting stress fractures. They were worried about the extra weight of a pregnancy. Um, causing the stress more fractures in my femur because it just never still to this day hasn't healed. I eventually broke my femur again and had a rod put in um, and more metal. So um, so even though the doctors were telling me they weren't sure it was a good idea, there was that stubborn part of me that was like, well, um, I'm going to have kids. You know, oh. it wasn't like I wasn't going to take no for an answer like that was just what you know what I how I pictured my life like I was going to get married have kids you know have a job so the you know I wasn't going to give up the kid part I mean I did know that if because then we had trouble getting pregnant you know I had to use through the whole fertility specialist route and you know then I was like well maybe this is like maybe I'm supposed to adopt and not you know um get pregnant but we did get pregnant and you know it, really, it speaks to your determination you know it's no one it just you're so determined but that brings us to another um trauma that you live through and that is like this weird trauma because it's a trauma that is coupled with you know joy so your father was a diabetic mm -hmm. and essentially he died on the same day that you gave birth to your first daughter and yeah. your father, I'll just say, um, Mr. Sutherland was, he was a musician. Say Lorraine's husband's a musician. Her father was a musician and just the sweetest guy. He was really a sweet man. And, um, so Lorraine has her first baby and you, I guess, are told when, when were you told that your father passed away? I wasn't told until, um, the next day, my mother, even though like, I mean, my father was diabetic and so he was sick, but you know, we have things where he'd have to go to the hospital for his blood sugar or whatever. They'd fix them. They'd send him home. Like we were, you know, even though it was, you know, we knew his heart was bad. It was just, he was always, you know, if he went to the hospital, they'd fix him and he came home. So we weren't, like it was very unexpected for him to to pass away that day. It's not like we were, his doctors weren't as surprised as we were, but yeah, my mother woke up and, you know, realized my dad, you know, something was terribly wrong. So, um, you know, she of course called 911. They did try to revive him and, you know, they tried to revive him and 
I was a scheduled C-section. So like we knew that, you know, my mom knew that I was upstairs um, having the baby. Um, and, you know, so the ER was trying to call up to try to find out if, you know, if I, this is way before HIPAA got crazy because they wouldn't be able to do that now. But um, they, so she actually, which I made like another thing for my mom being so strong is she decided like within very short period of time, you know, he died. I was upstairs. I'm a baby that, you know, that they weren't going to tell me right away. She wanted Mike and I to have 24 hours of being, you know, happy, excited, you know, joyful over the birth of our first child. Um, and she didn't want us to have to, to deal with that, you know, then. So she wanted us to have 24 hours. So she had decided, you know, that they would tell us the next day. So, I mean, my brother and my sister were there, which I thought was odd because they came to see me. I'm like, we don't go see people when they have babies. Like Donna had already had, you know, two of her kids. I'm like, so I kind of thought it was strange that they were there at the hospital, but it was, they were there because they came in to, you know, mm, my, right. so I thought that was strange. And then I thought it was strange that my dad didn't come because mm -hmm. I used to, you know, my dad was on disability at that time. And I was out on disability, like, because I was pregnant and they didn't want me walking around too much with my leg and all. So I used to talk to my dad on the phone every day, which was actually kind of odd because we had this like bond at that point. And, you know, like Mike and I would take him to dinner, um, there was a Boston market in Montgomeryville that he loved. So, you know, we would take him out to dinner. And um, so I kind of thought, I thought maybe he was in the hospital. It didn't occur to me that he had, that he had passed away. I was like, but I didn't ask that question. I asked my mom if my dad knew that he had another granddaughter and she said, he knows. And the way she answered, I'm like, oh, either he made her mad or something's wrong. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't ask again, you know, I was like, you know, seeing the baby, you know, and, you know, yeah, of course you had just given birth. You... Yeah. So like surgery. Yes. Um, so I didn't really um, think about it. Then the next, I thought about it overnight because I couldn't sleep real well. You know, it's a hospital, you know, you're sore. Yes. And so overnight I started to think something just started to feel like something had gone, something had happened. Um, and then the next morning, my mom, my uncle, and my brother came in. And Donna came in like a few minutes later. And as soon as she walked in the room, I said, I know. And she wow. was like, how do you know? I said, I just know. And that oh, was, they were coming to tell me at that point. Oh, my um, God. And strangely enough, Mike accidentally found out. He wasn't supposed to find out till the next day with me. But he had called my sister's house to tell her that I had the baby and her neighbor answered. My sister ran a daycare in her house, so she would have to be there. And her neighbor answered and said, and she didn't know what to do. Like she, she, right. she realized everything going on behind the scenes. And so she told him that Donna was at the hospital because my dad wow. had been and that he died. So he had it too. Like, you wow. know. So that's really huge i mean that's such a hard thing I, I don't know how you process the joy and the pain of that do you remember how you dealt with that 
it, I think it really, I didn't deal with the loss of my dad right away. Um, yeah. Because like after I had Bridget, that's my first and oldest, um, there was problems with my blood pressure. So, you know, there, were, there was talk about when my dad's services would be and, you know, they were shooting for Friday, but then they didn't know if I'd be released from the hospital because this was all on a Monday um, yeah. because of my blood pressure issues. So then they pushed it to Saturday. So I didn't even really deal with it. And even the day of his funeral, like I went to the, to the, to the church, to the funeral. Um, and I went to the cemetery, but I was in a wheelchair because like my legs had swollen. I couldn't walk. And, you know, so they kind of, so I remember it was raining, it was muddy. So they had to mm -hmm. carry my wheelchair over to the graveside and, um, but then with the baby, like, I really don't feel like I ever stopped and totally processed it for probably like, you know, a month or so, like, and then it was, you know, in bits and pieces, like I'd have yeah. like horrible days and like, you know, why? And then I was like, just kind of looked at it as, you know, they're worried about me having a baby because of all the injuries, you know, and yeah. internal injuries from the accident also which did cause a big problem with my last child. Um, it did. I know. But, um, so I just kind of felt like maybe it happened so that my, I tell Bridget, she has her own special guardian angel. And they yeah. kind of picked in that long hallway, you know, that it yeah. would just kind of happened to like, he went there to make sure she was born. Okay. Or that yeah. doesn't make sense. I know, but. No, it feels, there's something that feels very spiritual about that. There really is something that feels very connected and spiritual about that. It, it really, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then with your third daughter, you did have a lot of problems physically. Yeah. With that. Yeah. Because yeah. with my car accident, I had my you know, internal injuries, I had to have my spleen removed. And, you know, then I had the C-section with Bridget. So there was a lot of scar tissue and adhesions. Um, so the C-section was, took a very long time. The C-section with Becca, like I started to like get a little scared during that, but then, you know, everything brought out, she's fine, went back to my room, fine, was feeding her. And then that's all I remember. Mm -hmm. um, that point then, my next memory is two doctors telling me I was being moved to the ICU. And this was after surgery. Now, I do remember an anesthesiologist in the OR telling me that this time we weren't going to have as much fun because this time I was going to be asleep. For the C-section, I had an epidural, so I was awake. But this surgery was way more involved. I was hemorrhaging, you know, mm -hmm. and emergency surgery. So I was under general anesthesia. I remember that. And then I remember doctors tell me two from the same practice, which is odd that they were both there um, at the same time, um, say that they're moving me to ICU. Um, and I was like, okay, like, but then I don't remember anything past there. One time I remember they brought um, Becca down in the bassinet and I held her for like two minutes and then, uh, you know, like they took it back. I mean, I was in pretty bad shape then. Like I, yeah, I remember that multi-organ failure, like, you know, another close, another close encounter. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, and at this point, I just was wanted to get home because I mean, I had, you know, Matthew well, also yeah. at this point. So, I had like a three year old, a seven or eight year old, and then a newborn. So, it was like, you know, yes. I can't leave these kids with Mike because, you know, you know, as much as I loved him, I don't trust him to, you know, to, to raise the children. <laughs> so, if you had to tell somebody advice, if they were going through, I mean, hopefully nobody will go through all of that because that's a lot, Lorraine. <laughs> but if they were just dealing with one of that, I mean, what is your advice for how to get through this type of thing? Especially something that takes your whole body and kind of changes it in, in a really challenging way. Yeah, I guess I would just say like that, I think in this, I think with everybody that we're stronger than we think we are. Like, you know, if you would have said beforehand, you know, I would have been like, no, like I would, you know, and I'm still surprised sometimes like that I didn't just give up or didn't, you know, um, but I think that we are all stronger than we think we are. And you need like have your support. Mm -hmm. Like I think the support people made a world of difference with this like my family and my friends like had my back through the whole thing it wasn't I was never there was never going to be any wallowing and self-pity because like everybody was making my life as horrible as that stuff was like there was still like so much worth living and you know that that the support people I think made you know a huge difference what about um you know, the role of, we talked about the spiritual aspect of your father and, and Bridget, you and I both went through 12 years of Catholic school. Um, we were raised in a, I would say pretty strict, you know, Catholic upbringing, right? Yeah. Um, what is the role of your spirituality in your life today? I still, um, I mean, I still pray every night, like for everybody's health and safety, like, which is, you know, safety is still like one of the big things because i think with everything um how precarious life is too yeah yeah so and i think because of my accident like i was way more nervous about my kids driving you know i'm still a nervous driver if i don't know where i'm going i don't want to be the one driving because that day i didn't you know i wasn't familiar with the roads so i still and, you know, you know, I don't remember the accident. I'm a very nervous driver and I'm very nervous for my kids driving. Um, but for the spirituality, going back to that, I still feel like I don't like follow like this strict Catholic upbringing that I had, like not to the degree that I was that I was raised with. Um, but I still like my spirituality is still very important because I feel like I need that to keep me grounded and to keep me positive. If that makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. What about the role of music in your life? Because we touched upon the fact that, so your father, I always remember after certain different events at St. Jude's, he would be up there with his friends. Did he play the, banjo or the ukulele what do you play he played played guitar mostly but he also did play some banjo and some ukulele that's what i remember i picture him with the ukulele i still have his banjo and his ukulele and his guitar 
because wow. I played guitar and I was the one of his three kids who was, you know, into the music more, um, you know, when he died, you know, yes. I got his stuff, but even stranger, more like with the music thing, my dad's dad played um, banjo mandolin. My dad's brother played accordion and my dad's brother-in-law played electric guitar. So I grew up every family gathering, every family picnic, the Cedogram band was playing like, you know, all the, and we were dancing like my cousins and I, like I've said, we had a great upbringing in that respect. So music was always, it was, and like you were a such a good dancer. May I just jump back and say, <laughs> and like I, in all of our St. Jude stuff, Lorraine was the dancer and she had the good albums. Like she had the Bay city rollers. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Lorraine has that. That's such a good album. And she knew all the words to every song. And then, like, when you met Mike, I remember all of a sudden going, oh, my gosh, he has an album. Yeah. And he was a musician himself. And then you and I, you know, we don't want to sugarcoat it. We were pretty amazing musicians <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> we played and sang every Sunday in the church guitar group. We sang. Yeah at weddings and we got our we, we got paid we got paid so we were professionals so we were professional musicians because we, we got, got paid, paid for it. people's stuff um so what is the role today how important a role does music play in your life today yeah definitely still important like i you know volunteer at the Salisbury theater whether you know where they have bands and stuff just because it's like fun to be around um, people, the other people who volunteer there who work there are interested in music. So it's always, um, you know, a lot of my relatives, you know, even my cousins, you know, were into music. Um, so we still, and Mike and I, even though we met at the hospital, like when we go back, our music tastes were so alike. Like we were at the same concerts, like long before we met, you know, we were kind of leading like, parallel lives um you know mm. we've talked about this concert that concert and it did like him being a musician was um I remember I told one friend that he was a musician and he had lived in like San Diego for half a year and you know he's in a band and she's like oh so you're saying he's unstable I'm like oh. and I won't say that person's name you know her um and oh, interesting. After the podcast, I definitely yes, need to hear I, who that I was. Podcast, because we she also didn't hang out after my accident for very long. Um, that was kind of I don't know. Um, but you know, she was like, "So he's unstable?" Are you telling me? I'm like, "No, he's cool." Like exactly. You know? I remember sitting in your room. You brought out the album. Was yes. it Dorian Gray? Was that Dorian Gray? Yes. And your smile just got bigger. And I was like, oh, he's a musician. Now it's on, you know? So there's something um, really bonding. And, that, and that's even, a, there's something spiritual about the fact that you and Mike met under these circumstances that you did. Yeah. You know, that's pretty amazing. Um, what about, Lorraine, where do you seek inspiration? What do you do? Because I know right now that you still have pain you still have physical things that you're still working out and working through, you know, how do you get through it? 
I think I just try to look at it. There, there were times, and I'm not going to lie and say there weren't times I didn't feel sorry for myself and have a little pity party. Um, but I still just look at it as everything happens for a reason. And this, you know, I wouldn't have met Mike. I wouldn't have had my kids who are my world. So it's like, and I wouldn't have the life I have if it wasn't for that accident. You know, it would have been a different life, um, less painful physically, but it, you know, so I can't, I can't, I'm not even like angry about the accident. Like, you know, like you said, I still like have pain every day. Um, I still strangely enough have a little mini photo album that somebody pictures somebody took of my car after the accident, you know, and they took it for like, in case we needed it for insurance or court cases or anything, but I have it. Um, and I have the, when I had the metal plate removed from my leg with the 16 screws, I have that plate. I asked the doctor if I could keep it. I don't know why that's a little weird, but he did. Well, no, I understand that. You know, so I still, I can look back, you know, at those nights. I don't sit here and look at these pictures all the time. Like a few times a year, I'll just be like, you know, and I still occasionally go to physical therapy for those injuries. It's still covered under the cat fund from the car accident. Um, you know, like I do still have pain most days related to the injuries, but it's not anything, you know, that I can't deal with, you know, some days are worse than others, but I just always, you know, I saw like in the hospital, all three of them, I saw people who were, were way worse than me. And I know there are people who did not survive their car accidents. People I know who were in car accidents who didn't survive. So I just, I feel lucky that I did survive and that it led me to like a husband and then you know three great kids and you know that you found out who your people were when you go through something like that it's like who's left standing with you and who decided that a brain injured um who might repeat the same story you know much more I better thought brain injured Lorraine was fun Lorraine <laughs> <laughs> and that was saying like what I love is that you still let me be a young 20 something yeah. And other ones wanted to like put me in a box and like, I was like, but I still needed to, to live. I ran into one of my therapists recently, haven't seen her in like 30, over 30 years. She recognized me right away and I recognized her. And I said, you know, I thanked her. I said, you treated me like a young 20 something, you know, she was around my age. So in therapy, you know, she was my recreational therapist at Doyle Sound and she was just so touched and she's like I'm so glad you said that because like it just means but those kind of people who still let you be who you, you know are. yes yeah yeah and but you know it's funny us. because I remember when I did take you into stores and you would laugh and say they would do something and you would say you would laugh and you would go, well, I'm brain injured. So, and people would look so shocked. Like they would say, oh, and you would just giggle. I mean, I think also that might even go back again to your mom and your family being very mm -hmm. pragmatic about it. Nobody was like, yeah. oh, don't talk about it. Or it was what you were experiencing. Yeah. A brain injury for those listening isn't the same as brain damage right um, 
but having said that, if somebody is brain damaged, that's who they, that's who they are at that point. That's what happens. And, you know, um, I don't think we're all the same people anyway, year after year, we should be changing and evolving anyway. And we've all, people have, I'd say every one of us, you know, has dealt with something. You obviously with Clara, like you have been through your own hell and come out the other end and, you know, um, and people like I've heard on your podcast too, and just other people I've met, you know, we all, everybody's been through something, you know, their own kind of trauma, whether whatever level be in their life, it's their trauma yes. or this hard difficult thing to overcome i don't think anybody's had a perfect life without any you know something story i mean honestly i always say this would you go to a movie where nothing ever happened you know right movies because we want to see the human spirit and the triumph of it or sometimes it's more glorious than others um So Lorraine, speaking of people who go through so much tragedy, um, there is a an organization called the Live Project. And I am so impressed with this organization. It was founded after this beautiful young woman, Olivia, um, died by suicide and her family decided to create this organization to help people have fearless conversations and to help people really address this growing pandemic of depression and anxiety and, um, and suicide that's happening among our young people. So there is a game called the game that goes there, the game that goes there. I'm holding it up to Lorraine and I have this game. You can order it from the liveproject.org and to play this game, you go around, you answer questions, and there are, I, I'm not looking at the rules, but the rules as I remember them are like, be truthful, don't be a jerk, and don't answer anything you don't want to answer. Okay. <laughs> I forget how you win, but that's not even the point. So I'm going to pull, I, I'm going to pull three cards. Okay. And you get to pick which one you want to answer, because we didn't plan this I, I should probably give people a heads up because I'm going to start doing this at the end of the podcast but I don't have to give Lorraine a, a heads up because she's my friend <laughs> um, so Lorraine you yeah. can choose I just pulled three cards okay you can choose one of them to answer okay and then answer it and you can think for like 10 seconds okay <laughs> no pressure <laughs> so um and they're each like from different categories. So some are more dramatic than others. Okay. The luckiest I've ever been was, if you haven't seen blank, we can't be friends. Or the most hurtful thing my parents ever did was blank. Hopefully if my kids ever do a podcast, they won't get that one. <laughs> so the luckiest I've ever been was blank. If you haven't seen blank we can't be friends or the most hurtful thing my parents ever did was so you can choose one to answer i guess i'll i'll do the luckiest i feel like that's um 
the one that re would require the least thought. Um, yeah, very good. <laughs> and I mean, the luckiest I've ever been was when I survived my car accident. Like, because nothing I have now would have ever been like that one day, that one like minute split second, even though it was all bad. Like I got, I was one of the lucky ones who came out of it. And, you know, even with the pain, like I didn't, you know, people have, have more horrific injuries to live with. Um, so even though, and I've said, I've actually thought this before, like what was like the most unlucky thing in my life was my car accident. It was also the luckiest thing because it led to me meeting my husband, having my kids, which, you know, like that's all I would want from my life. I'm not all like, I mean, obviously I want to have more than that. I need my good friends and, um, I mean, but, right. You didn't even mention me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But so, Lorraine, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, there's so much dichotomy in, in your life and in your life experiences. Well, thank you for sharing all of this. It won't be the last time we talk about these things because as one of my closest friends, you are a regular guest on the Soulful Connection <laughs> podcast. <laughs> as I force my people to do this with me. Um, and I'm just so grateful. I'm really thankful that I, that you're my friend. Okay. I'm so blessed by our friendship and I love our shared history and we've certainly lived through a lot of different traumas with one another. Um, and we share a lot of laughs together as well. And a lot of, like we always say, we can talk about anything and everything and we do. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.